0: For use in just a minute, do you have one of these? If you came in this morning and don't have one of these, will you raise your hand, a member of our church is going to get you one. Anybody? Good. August the 19th, uh, three and a half months from today, Dr. Chris Johnson will be installed as the senior pastor of First Baptist Church San Antonio. There are 20 pictures on that great hall wall out there, and his will be number 21. No wait. His picture is already up there. (laughs) In all my years with this great church, I can't think of anything that we've worked at harder, prayed for longer than this succession plan. I believe it is the Lord. I believe it is Him, and I'm excited about the future and grateful. But some of the hard work is still ahead for him, for all of us. uh, The real challenges are just rounding the bend. You can just see their faces peeking out around the corner. As I read Reverse this week, and thank God for Reverse, I saw in Saul almost every mistake possible in dealing with a successor. Uh, As I watched Saul's anger and pride, the Spirit helped me to ask a better question. What can I do to make this succession a success? How does one welcome the next generational leader? Whether it's the pastor of a church or a new son-in-law in your family or a new boss at your job. How does this one generation reach back and say, Welcome, help us now with this great race. The baton is yours. Success is a funny word. In English, it has come to mean money or fame or career accomplishment. But the Latin root, successio, never meant that. It originally meant to follow a line or a sequence, uh, to stay on a course or to complete a path. And the idea that will be the way you finally succeed, but it is your loyalty to the path that's really being communicated. Jesus had a succession plan. Our our Lord, he used to say, I'm going to send you guys another comforter. Or he would say, greater things will you do than I have done because I go to the Father. Uh, There wasn't any ego in it for Jesus. Just beautiful humility and intelligent love for the world and for his people. He has a plan. As a matter of fact, Jesus perfectly echoes the normal Christian sense of history. Uh, We believe we move from glory to glory. From one experience of God's goodness to the next experience. You just round a bend and find out how good God is again. And so, you don't read history, oh, it used to be good and now it's awful. You simply say, in all of this life, His mercies follow after me. I will experience His goodness again and again. So... Will you let Saul teach you what not to do this morning? Will you let the Spirit shape your heart so that you and I together can be part of this successful new chapter in this church and in this city? Is this mic on? (laughs) Let's stand together and read God's Word. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered, and Saul set him over the men of war. And it was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. It happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they've ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. David was prospering in all of his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. But all Israel, Judah, loved David, and he went out and he came in before them. You be seated and turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel 18 and 19 for a larger text. Share the spotlight that's the first lesson in verse 18 chapter 18 verse 7 I don't think those women were trying to insult Saul Saul has killed thousands David has killed 10,000 one of them was the general the other one was the fighting soldier that's just how this works there was no conscious preference for David says Edersheim no threat to Saul's throne no insult but Saul was not ready to share the credit. That's the problem. He had forgotten or never learned that each man's praise will come to him from God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. The only approval that's ever going to matter in your life is what God says at the end. The only approval that ever matters is that which comes to God, to you, from God at the end of time. And life is actually nothing more than the preparation for that great final exam. All that you have, all that you are thinking, all that you are deciding is simply to draw your attention to that great God and what would please him. Um, last Sunday after church, my friend Robert Schonert said to me, Life changing sermon. And I said, Thank you. And then I realized Robert wasn't in my service, I was in Lagos. And he wasn't talking about my sermon. <laughs> he's talking about Chris Johnson. But isn't there enough lostness in the world for there to be many soldiers? And if many soldiers join the battle, shouldn't we encourage them all? And so I just let myself be glad that this church is about to do for Chris Johnson what he's done for me so long, to encourage me, to pray for me, to stand with me, to say, keep going, Pastor, we're right there with you. So, share. Share the spotlight. Surrender to God. That's the second lesson. Uh, A few months before, Samuel had come to Saul and announced the judgment of God. It was harsh. It was harsh. Chapter 5, 15, verse 23. You can study that later. Samuel said, you have rejected God's word. God has rejected you. Saul never yielded to that decision, even though it was made in the throne room of heaven by an eternally wise and good God. Uh, Saul never repented of his actions, nor sought forgiveness, nor restoration. By contrast, read Psalm 51. When David was confronted with his sin, he hit his knees. He said, I must see your face. I've got to hear this from you. I've got to know what is possible now and what, what you want from me. Instead of seeking God, Saul retreated from God into himself. And as a consequence, the anxiety grew like a cancer the rest of his life. You could just feel it sapping his life away. He could never say with John the Baptist, a man can never receive anything except that which God has given him. Can I just put that in other language? The only plan that will ever work for you is the one that God has for you. You can come up with a thousand other versions of it, but it never will bring peace to your heart. The only home that you really can go home to is the one that God has for you. And you can never know that unless you go seek His face and hear His word. When the Bible talks about confession, it uses the word homo, same, logeo, word, same word. When it talks about confessing to God, it doesn't mean you're just spilling your guts of all the bad stuff you've ever done or thought. It means you finally let his word be your word. You, there's just one word being spoken now, what God says. When God says something is a sin, you say, that's right, it is a sin. When God says you have been selfish, you say, rather than excuses, you say, yes, sir, that's right, I have been selfish. You begin to say the same word about you about the situation that God is saying. If you want to get better, everybody, you need better information. And the only place you're going to get that is from God. And so, so go there. Um, Surrender. Let God talk to you. Let God be God. Accept His judgment. Kneel down and discover what He is saying about your life and what He's always been saying about your life. Um, Find the room that is there for forgiveness. Don't be surprised if when you go before God you feel this fierce holiness and this magnificent love in combination. He both has judged the sin of your life and He has loved you beyond your ability to describe it. So go. Go into the closet and find Him. The next months of our church will be determined by our answer to this question. Can I be glad with the plan of God? Can I surrender my control, my opinions, and my desires? Or do I have to have things my way? Trust me, everybody. The destiny of this church rests on that question. Go back to the garden and correct that one great fault where Eve says, No, thank you. I'll stick with the trees that God gave me because he is wise and good. I don't have to come up with my own plan. I, so negotiate with heaven that you say, you are good, and I will do life as you bring it to me. I'll stop. Remember how he said to Paul, it's been hard to kick against the goads, hasn't it, my brother? It's been hard. It's hard to fight this great God and all of his judgments and his mercies. So this, Saul reminds you, that's not a path you want to take. Walk in the Spirit, that's the third Turn to chapter 19. Just go one page to the right. Chapter 19 is a sad story. As Saul is disintegrating in jealousy and paranoia, he sends troops to arrest David, who at this point is staying with Samuel. Uh, In both comic creativity of God, and he is both of those things, the troop comes to arrest David... And so the Holy Spirit falls on them, sort of like Pentecost in the Old Testament. They're filled with the Spirit of God. They begin to prophesy, and they sing, and they drop their weapons, and they forget what they're there for. It becomes a prayer meeting, like a five-hour prayer meeting. And they, they sing to God be the glory in Hebrew, and then they go home without their victim. And Saul says, well... Okay, then I'm going to send another troop. The next day he sends another troop, and the great comic creativity of God happens again. They're just filled with the Spirit. He carries them away. They, they sing, they clap, they pray, they forget all about David. So Saul says, well, for Pete's sake, I, I'll have to do this myself. And so he goes to arrest David, and he doesn't even get there. He does not even get there. And the Spirit of God comes sweeping across him, and he begins to dance and he begins to sing he begins to prophesy he takes off his robe he drops his sword and lays there like this in front of them for hours years later people will say was well, is, is saul a prophet the answer is no not really because here's the sad thing whenever saul gets up from a spiritual experience he never goes never goes back to it in hunger he never seeks it he's had this experience before early in his life he was filled by the spirit of god but when he wakes up he always goes back to his flesh he goes back to his troops his energy inner his he he's he's a carnal man he's he's carnally driven um he never lets that taste of a spiritual reality draw him deeper into spiritual living well Golly, he has a lot of friends these days. Who in this congregation hasn't had moments of very real touch of the Holy Spirit? You were at a youth camp, and you could feel the Spirit of God so close to you, it made you weep. You were in a revival. You were in a preaching service, and all of a sudden, everything faded away, and it was as if the Holy Spirit was using that humble preacher to speak directly to you. You knew God was there. If you're not careful, the next Monday you got up and you went on back to work and you kind of forgot about it. You did not say, if there is that well of water available, I want it. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus used to say, how much more would the Father not give the Spirit those who ask it? The reason people are not filled with the Holy Spirit these days, not living in boldness and purity and prayer power, is because they're not asking we're We're more concerned with material things than we are with the life that God has held in front of us in the person of Jesus Christ, in the person of uh, a purified church. so um, uh, the hold on here you want the succession to succeed then Go get on your knees. You, you want to be part of the next vibrant chapter of a New Testament church. Then go be a New Testament church. Seek the Lord early. Seek Him long. Desire only Him. Get your brother. Take him to prayer meetings. Say, God has promised that He would help us if we would only ask. Stay faithful, that's the fourth. The sweetest part of this story is Jonathan. For all of his father's failure, Jonathan is David's friend. Uh, go back to 18, verse 1. Uh, Jonathan loved him like he loved himself. Um, this is the kind of friendship that would meet at Jim's for coffee. This is the kind, of, they were in a circle of two. They were knotted together, says the Scripture. The Hebrew word is very clear. It was one of those Boy Scout knots. You twisted and you pulled, and it was permanent now. Jonathan and David were that kind of friends. You see, Jonathan had done a different thing with his whole... If there was anybody that ought to be jealous of David, it's Jonathan. But he's done a different kind of internal process. He has decided that God is good, and if God has anointed this young man, I'm not going to fight that. Whatever the cost, I'm not going to fight that. I am going to get on a be- If God is in this, I'm going to be part of it. And so he has surrendered and he's stayed faithful. Please note that the way Jonathan is expressing his love for God is to be David's friend because he believes David is sent by God. As I conclude this morning, let me just remind you that jealousy is not always a bad word. Um, When you see somebody who's filled with the Spirit and joyful and fruitful, I I believe you're supposed to feel jealous. You're supposed to feel some kick. The implied message of their life is that you could be that same way too. When you see a marriage that is what you want it to be, I think you're supposed to feel jealous, that itch or desire. Years later, the Apostle Paul would say that he intentionally tried to make the Jews jealous. He wanted them to see Christians and our liberty and our attractiveness and our un joy. And he wanted the Jews to say, that's what I want. That's what I want. But jealousy is also a painful and dangerous moment. It's a signal from the Spirit that he is, God is saying, are you... Ready for more yourself. When you see it in somebody else, it ought to turn you to me and ask you to begin to say, Father, make me. Rather than resist or resent, you use jealousy, and it drives you to your knees, and you begin to seek. Proverbs 31 describes this attractive and virtuous woman. She's strong. She's capable. She's a businesswoman. She's remarkable in a lot of ways. My favorite line is, she smiles at the future Uh, what the Lord is about to bring for her and her children her nation just doesn't make her afraid. She knows the God who's going to go there in front of her. She smiles at the future. And that's my prayer and maybe yours too. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your head. Let's pray. Dear Father, as a new chapter comes, let this great family smile and meet this challenge with a resolute heart. I commit myself, we commit ourselves to sharing the spotlight. Many workers, much encouragement. I surrender to the future as you bring it to us. I will be an active and a prayerful and a joyful part of it. I will walk in the Spirit. I will never look to myself for the energies to do this life, but to the filling of your sweet Spirit. I will stay faithful. And the end of this chapter and actually the beginning of the next most beautiful one will be based on whether I opened my heart to you and walked with you. Father, come now in the person of your spirit as you promised that you would help us. Uh, At turning points, at moments, you promised that you'd be there to convict of sin, to call it what it was, to help us make decisions that honored you to give us courage to give us witness boldness you promised so we've never wanted anything but that to be a holy spirit filled church to burn with a a supernatural brightness so if you would come this morning and help every individual believer